Happier Work, Happier Life, episode 24. Tom is here from Happier with Chelsea Perino, Managing Director, Global Marketing Communications at the Executive Center. Today we discuss trends in flexible working, what a marketing role entails, and tips and advice for those of you wanting to apply for marketing jobs. So if you're interested, tune in for this podcast. Thank you so much, Chelsea, for joining us today. Can you give a quick introduction to yourself? Sure. So my name is Chelsea Perino. I'm the Managing Director of Marketing and Communications for the Executive Center. The Executive Center is the number one premium flexible workspace provider in Asia. We were founded actually in Hong Kong in 1994, so oh. 26 years. What What's the difference between premium co-working spaces compared to normal ones? So I think it's the clientele, right? And it's also the infrastructure and the design and the effort that we put into thinking about the way our centers are laid out and how they flow and the different kinds of spaces that we provide for people to use. So for us, we have about 76% of our business and our clients are MNCs, which is quite different from what people would normally think of when they think of a co-working space, right? Also for us, I think the the focus is more so on creating private spaces for our clients um, as opposed to the open lounge areas and the co-working concept, we create those lounges as amenities for the people that have private offices with us. So it's less that sort of transient concept and more so businesses that want to be in the premium CBDs with grade A buildings and amenities that suit their business. So majority are MNCs, but there is still a small minority that are startups and SMEs? Yeah, definitely. So 76% MNCs and then the rest is a makeup of mostly SMEs actually. But then of course we do have a couple of groups that are startups. We have a lot of people that are sort of in grade uh, round A, round B funding, fundraising, Mm. that kind of thing as well. So people that want access to those companies that are well-established, that have been around for a long time. So that's one of the big selling points of being part of the executive center is the access to the network. Yeah, for sure. Do you think it's a bit intimidating for them to be with all these big players in the market and community? I don't think so. I I think the way that we design our spaces, which is intentional, is to create a very collaborative, open comfortable environment so that when you go to the barista bar to get a cup of coffee and you're standing next to someone, it's a very natural sort of thing to say, oh, hi, how are you? How was your day? Where do you work? And then who knows, maybe it's, you know, the head of Google or, you know, somebody that works for Morgan Stanley or something like that. Right. And so I think those kinds of environments are really important and why flexible working is becoming much more popular today is because people are thinking about those interactions that happen in a much more informal space is something that's a real asset. It's interesting because everything that's happening with COVID and so many people are working from home, that's one of the the things that I think we've lost. And that's why so many people are excited to come back to the office again, because it's those kind of you know unexpected moments where you meet somebody, even in your own company, that you don't necessarily have direct contact with or you don't work on projects directly with on a daily basis but you have a conversation and it inspires you or you learn something new about the company and that is how innovation happens. So where, where do you see the trends going on? How has COVID-19 impacted the co-working space community and where do you see the future? Oh, that's a loaded question. I think there's sort of two things to think about when we're talking about the impact that COVID-19 has had on our industry. So the first is obviously this largest working from home experiment of all time, right? Yeah. So I think the first thing that people expected when everybody 
went into quarantine or had to stay home was the fact that organizations were very rapidly forced to rethink their business strategy in terms of how do people work and what are the infrastructure and the resources that they need to do that when they actually aren't in the office. Obviously, some more progressive companies have flexible working policies, but the majority of them across the world actually don't. And obviously, this was an opportunity for them to say, okay, well, now we don't really have a choice. We either let people work from home or we close our business for who knows how long. Yeah. Um, so I think that was kind of the expected outcome when this all happened. But what I think is a little bit less expected is the fact that so many people sort of championed this idea of working from home or being a digital nomad or having the ability to move around as much as they wanted to not be tied to an office as like that golden cup, right? The chalice, yeah. you get that and you're like, yes, I've made it. This is my dream job. But then all of a sudden, when you've done it for six weeks, it kind of loses its luster, right? You're yeah. like, actually, there are a lot of things about working in an office that I really loved that I kind of took for granted. And so for me, that's the really interesting piece of the puzzle is that people are now really happy and excited to come back to the office and are starting to think about what role the office actually plays, which obviously for us at the executive center is very exciting because we work in office space, right? That's what we <laughs> yeah. do. Um, and we've been trying to educate clients about how the office can actually be an asset to their teams and can build efficiencies and can increase employee satisfaction um, for, for 26 years. And so this has really opened up the lines of communication and the conversations with lots of different companies, both MNCs, but also, of course, SMEs and clients that had never thought about, hmm, what the role does my actual office play yeah. in my business, as opposed to just being a place where my employees come as a piece of that business, right? Um, so when we're talking about the future, I think what we'll see is a much more comprehensive thought process when businesses are saying, what actual spaces do I need to make my business run? What do my employees actually do and what spaces do they need to be able to do that most efficiently? And then what resources do I need to provide in each of these kinds of locations to allow them to do that as well? Mm -hmm. So I think it's this sort of collision of understanding that space and office is a really important part of the business structure and the profitability and the sustainability but also it plays a big role in the employee interaction and the community that is created within an organization as well. So to actually answer your question, I think businesses will start thinking about much more of a flexible, adaptable model mm -hmm. where they have actual office space for the people that need and want to sit in an office, but they'll start thinking about those different environments. So like I mentioned, you know, private offices or um, huddle areas, but then collaborative areas, but then also this idea of hub and spoke model where perhaps they're big head offices in a location that's not necessarily centrally located, but then they would come to somebody like the executive center to mm. create smaller hubs that allow their more mobile workers to move around. So the flexibility of co-working spaces definitely helps with this new trend of sort of a hybrid of work from home and also having an office. Absolutely. I, I, I like to think about it as a, a remote working or a flexible working model as opposed to just work from home. Work from home is one piece of that puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that organizations will incorporate that in there as well, right? I mean, for us, even we started thinking about, oh, what's our work from home strategy? Like, do we have a policy on this? Ironically, no, we didn't because it's so innate to us. We work flexibly anyway, right? Yeah. But we started thinking about that too. And obviously for us, we're in 32 cities across Asia, Australia, China, India, Middle East, um, North Asia. So all of these different countries were going through this experience at a different 
extent at different times, right? I mean, we're quite fortunate being here in Hong Kong. Obviously, we've had lockdowns, but not to the extent of India, for example, where people have been in lockdown for for weeks and weeks, right? Um, So we also had to think about how do we continue our business in the face of these very different, challenging environments. So what was your key takeaways from that for other companies who are going through this transition currently? How can they really make their work arrangements more flexible and adaptable for their employees? So I think, let me first talk about what we did as a business for Mm -hmm. ourselves, and then I can talk about some of the things that we recommend to our clients or people that are thinking about how do we react to this situation. So for us, the, the first priority for us was to keep our offices open and to keep them safe. So those were the two kind of combined goals for us throughout this whole process in our entire region, all of our regions. Um, So keeping office open, why is that important? Well, we're the home to many different businesses. So if our office is closed, that means that even if those companies want to come in, they aren't able to do that, right? So that was a real partnership between the buildings that we were a part of, where our offices actually are, um, the government, and then, of course, um, all of the other parties that are involved, as in our members and the people that work in the offices. Um, So we very quickly started working with all of the different local government organizations to understand what the rules and the policies Mm -hmm. were and all of the requirements that they put in place to allow for businesses to reopen again. Um, So, for example, in China, there was a very rigorous application process in order for buildings to open back up again. And then once the building opened, then the same sort of process was for every single office in there. So we spent a lot of time making sure that we fit all of those criteria in order to open the offices as soon as possible. Um, And then, of course, there's the whole safety aspect of things, right? So COVID didn't just come and go away. It's still here. We're all dealing with it, right? So what are the new safety protocols that we needed to put in place so that when people came back to the office, they actually felt safe? And that's everything from, you know, temperature checks either in the building that we're in or in our actual center, travel declaration forms in every single center, um, regular sanitizing of all of the common areas, all the spaces, um, understanding who the people were coming in and out at what time. Um, and then, of course, working with the local governments if there was ever a case in the building that we were in, for example. And I think the underlying layer of all of that is transparency and communication. So we over-communicated, which I think <laughs> in these kinds of instances is really important because people are afraid, right? Yeah. And so if you want people to come back and feel comfortable, you you want to tell them what you're doing to make sure that that environment is a safe place to be. Um, so that's the first thing, and that's kind of what we did. But then in terms of what what other organizations are doing, I think moving forward when organizations are starting to come back to the office, what we recommend is first start with your people and think about who are they, what do they do, what do they need to do on a day-to-day basis. And that changes. I think it's interesting when you think about office strategy and the way that it's sort of progressed over time, right? And it's very reflective of the way that people work, but what they actually are doing. So you have this assembly line process, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Well, that was the office reflected that activity, right? You were doing one thing, you sat at your desk, it was nine to five, you did one task all day long, every day. And if you were a worker, then you were in a workshop. And if you were a secretary, then you were sitting at a desk, et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, I mean, how many tasks do you do a day? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like all of us, we're all doing multiple things. We have multiple jobs. We all wear multiple hats. So how could we possibly just have one space that's going to facilitate all of that in the same sort of efficiency? It's impossible. So that's why I love 
the idea of flexibility, and I think it's really important for organizations to start thinking about that, but from a human perspective and talking to employees and saying, hey, what, what kind of space do you actually use? What do you do in those spaces? How can we create environments where you feel the most comfortable to do those things? And then how do you educate the other people in the organization what all those spaces are actually for? Right. Because there's a great stat that that one of my friends always shares that does a lot of research and workplace strategy and stuff. And I think it was like anytime you're sitting at your desk and you're doing deep work and somebody taps you on the shoulder just to ask you a question, you lose 30 minutes worth of productivity in terms of your trying to get back into that state of deep thought again. But what if you had an environment like a library, right, where you go and people know if you're in there and it's not an emergency they're doing something where they need to focus, right? So understanding what those spaces mean and then educating people to use those spaces in a way that's the most efficient for them. That's really interesting. Like it, it makes so much sense that that works. If you have like a dedicated quiet space, don't bother me versus, okay, you can come and ask me questions. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that universities are actually doing it a little bit better. So I, I don't know where you went to university, but mine had a, a quiet room, right? Yeah. And you go in there and you're not allowed to talk. And if you want to have a conversation or take a phone call, then you go out, right? Whereas then you have the big open common areas where the purpose for that is to have those casual conversations and interactions and collaborate with your classmates or your teammates. It's the same concept in an office, Right. So you need to have these different environments that allow people to do different tasks at different times. I really admire the flexibility that the executive center has for its own employees. So I want to learn more about the company culture, what it's like actually working in the company. Can you share more on that? Sure. So I can tell you a story about when I first started. So I started at the executive center in 2017. So I've been here almost four years. Mm -hmm. feels like a lifetime, but in a good <laughs> way. Um, and I was actually the first employee for the marketing team. So I started the team. That's why I was brought on board. Wow. Um, and one of the first things that I did, so we were going through a big brand revolution. Um, we were rehauling all of our communication strategies, changing the brand image, you know, really starting to think about what our purpose was, how do we differentiate ourselves, um, and put putting together like a playbook, basically. Um, but obviously, in order to do that efficiently, I needed to talk to all the different stakeholders. So that means people from sales, from operations, from finance, um, from all of our different cities, right? So I yeah. went on like a road trip for like my first month to go and talk to lots of different people and say, you know, what what is this brand? What does it mean to you? How do you feel about it? And obviously we got lots of different answers, which was one of the issues. But <laughs> at the same time, there was one recurring theme, which was that it was an amazing place to work. Um, we have, I mean, I think it's almost all of our senior management has been there for more than five years. And the majority of them have been there for more than 12 years. Yeah, uh -huh. Our head of Hong Kong, 15 years. Our head of Hong Kong, Macau, Taiwan, head of Hong Kong, 10 years. I mean, it's like, it's unbelievable, right? And I come from an advertising background. And so, you know, you switch agencies every year and a half. Mm -hmm. So when I started hearing all of these stories about people that have really gone on a journey with this company, I thought, wow, there's something special here. This is really interesting. Um, what, what is that? And the interesting thing is, it, it really is a top-down sort of mentality that comes from our CEO. So our CEO, Paul Salonikow, he's the founder. So he started this business in 1994 in Hong Kong, and he's still our CEO. And he's truly one of the kindest, most interesting and innovative people that I've ever met. And anybody that knows him will also say that. And he really empowers his people and every person and has a mutual respect for every person in the company. And I think that's so important. 
He gives everybody the opportunity to take their expertise or take their role in a, whatever direction they think is best for the business and, and really tries to provide a platform for them to do that. So it's this really entrepreneurial sort of spirit that kind of embodies all of us at TEC. Um, from you know the the regional directors that take the business and either grow it within their region or add new countries or new cities or new centers, he gives them the autonomy to do that in a way that is relevant and efficient and productive and acceptable in their region instead of trying to sort of put this top-down sort of mandate that everything needs to be done exactly the same. And of course, that doesn't come without challenges because then, you know, there's consistency. There's, you know, how mm -hmm. do we maintain the same brand messaging in all of these different regions? That's kind of why I came on board was to lock those two together and say, look, we can still regionalize all of these concepts, but we can have an overarching message that we're all saying, right? We can all buy into the same story and then customize that story in a way that's locally relevant. So it's this kind of like act global act or sorry think global act local kind of strategy that we try to employ in all of our different disciplines um but that's really important and then ju just this idea that fundamentally you have to respect people's ideas um i think that that is such an empowering thing and i mean you'll see paul having lunch with an intern you know uh -huh. I, I mean his he has an open door policy and everyone on the management team does um and i think that that's a really for especially for people that are first coming into jobs to have access to people that have had so much experience and really feel like they have the opportunity to bring ideas to the table and to to talk about the business without feeling like they're going to be put down or you know feeling like they they don't have the position or the title or the experience to be able to share those ideas is a really inspiring sort of thing. So I love working there. I think it's great. <laughs> do you think the relationship with the CEO management and the respect, do you think that's part of the reason why you have such a high retention rate or are there other secret ingredients? I for sure think that that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if think about if you respect your, your boss or your superiors or your colleagues, that's already a great place to start, right? Because you feel like you're in a safe environment and that fosters collaboration. It, it's great connections. I mean, I think everybody on my team has been here since basically since I started, right? And and I value that so much because as you start to grow, you want those people to stay. You want them to love the business. You want them to love what they do. And the more they grow with the company, the more their expertise is going to continue to grow as well, right? And I think one of the challenges with companies that have quite a quick turnover is there's not enough time for people to really understand what the business is about and be able to take whatever their area of expertise is and apply that to the business to help it move forward. Um, that's why I think employee retention and focusing on what people's experiences are in their organization is such an important part of running a business that's successful. So now I want to take a step more into the marketing realm. Um, first off, what is your day-to-day -day role like? I know it's quite varied, so it might be hard to answer, but for those that are looking to explore marketing roles or want to get more of an insight into what people in marketing actually do, what is your day-to-day -day like? It's really funny. I got asked this question two days ago when I was presenting to a bunch of master students from <laughs> America, and I also went, it's a really great question. Um, 
I think marketing, and let me take a step back as well and just preface this by saying I did not study marketing. I had no idea what marketing was. I fell into marketing as kind of like a fluke when I was on a big trip around the world. So my background is actually anthropology and linguistics, and I thought I was going to be a doctor. So that being said, (laughs) I had no idea what marketing was either. And I think that's kind of a good thing. People think of marketing in a lot of different ways. Um, for the executive center, the way and the way that I view marketing is it, it it's an overarching sort of category that has lots of different verticals within it. But the way I like to think about it is it's sort of like the glue or the the thread that ties all of the other departments together. And we act as that sort of communication infrastructure to understand what the company's goals are and then what all of the different departments within our organization need. And then we kind of create strategies and comms and content and et cetera, et cetera, to help those all work together. So under our remit, we have um, we have a content team. We've got data analytics. We've got public relations. We've got events and partnerships and sponsorships. Um, we've got production, it's and then lot. we have we have regional we have regional extensions of all of those as well. So that's kind of our direct remit. But then within those, we also have weekly meetings where we're dealing with our ETG team. So IT, right? So everything that has to do with the website, content that goes on there, what's the SEO strategy? How are we implementing new products into the website? We have regular meetings with our operations teams, with our community teams, um, with the data, obviously they're on our team. But, you know, I, I think it's really important to not think of marketing as like its own silo. That's where you get into trouble. Because if you're saying one thing about the brand, but consumers are experiencing something different over here or the salespeople are doing something different over here than how is it a partnership, right? Yeah. So for me, I think the, the way that I like to view it, if it's done right, which I think we're doing it right, um, <laughs> is that it's kind of reflective of the same sort of ethos that we were talking about in terms of the company culture, right? This idea yeah. of openness and sharing of information and communication and creating these relationships between different departments because Imagine if you're trying to communicate a brand story, but you only know like one piece of the puzzle, right? You don't understand the tech side of things or you don't understand the operation side of things. How can you really tell a holistic story? You're missing one whole piece. Um, so I think that that's kind of what marketing is. I want to jump into how you ended up in marketing. You said it's a very interesting story. What? Yeah. Can you just maybe briefly share how you ended up where you are today, what your career path has been? and how you were able to jump into something without having the academic background, which a lot of fresh grads and students nowadays, they're scared that they don't, if they study marketing, they have to go into marketing. If they study um, tech, they have to go into tech. But obviously you're proof that you don't have to do what you study and you can be successful. Don't be scared. That's the first piece of advice. Um, You will be scared, but don't be afraid to be afraid, if that makes sense. I'll explain why. So like I said, I studied anthropology and linguistics, but I wanted to be a doctor. And in the U.S., you have to go to undergrad and do your pre-medicine track first before you go into medical school. And it's quite a long, arduous process. And there are a lot of awful classes that you have to take, um, biology, chemistry, et cetera. But then you can also major in whatever you want. And I had been saying I wanted to be a neurosurgeon since I was, I mean, as young as I can remember. Um, And it wasn't because my parents were doctors. It was because I just thought it was really interesting. And at that point... I think it was because I was really fascinated by the brain. So I watched lots of Discovery Channel programs about, you know, the synapses and the way that the brain works. And so I thought it was that scientific side of the brain that I was really interested in. So I went to NYU. I did the whole pre-medicine track. I 
studied anthropology as my actual major, but you know, I took all of those science classes that you need. I took the MCAT, I had all my applications done. Um, and my parents kept asking me, when are you going to submit them? Have you submitted them? You know, what's going on? Have you chosen the schools? And it was really unlike me because I love school and I love going to class and I love learning. And I hated all of my, I hated all of my um, science classes, which was really unusual because like I said, I love school. And I kind of thought about it, but I said, oh, maybe this is just like a phase. It's a different city. It's like, we'll just keep going with it. Right. Um, and then one day I was, I mean, it was literally the day before my applications were due. And I was sitting at my, at my work. I was doing cancer research at the time. And the girl that was sitting next to me said, you look really sad. Are you okay? And I had, was kind of in like a zone. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I don't want to be a doctor. And I had never said that before ever. And it was just kind of like the first thing that came out. And I'll never forget it. She kind of laughed. She like looked at me and she just said, well, then don't. And it was like, how dare it blasphemy? Like, how could you say that to me? This is like what I've been striving for for 15 years. How could I just say, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And she's like, if you don't, if that's not what you want to do, that's not what you want to do. Like change it. And it was literally like a light went off and I went, holy shit, what have I been missing here? Like, you're totally right. And I think that's a challenge a lot of people face is that sometimes you don't know what you want to do. So you choose something, but because then you've chosen it and you've put a lot of effort into it, you feel like you have to follow it through. And I'm not saying give up on things that you find challenging. That's not what I'm saying. But what I think is dangerous is when you know something isn't right, but you feel too much pressure to say, I'm changing my mind to do something different. Um, and that goes for jobs as well, right? Sometimes you think you're going to love something and you get in there and you actually hate it. And that's okay to be able to say, this was not what I thought it was going to be. So now I'm going to change it to something else. Um, so I sold all my stuff and I went traveling for four years because I had no backup plan. So I withdrew all my applications. Obviously, my parents thought I was having a mental breakdown. Um, I convinced them that I was fine. <laughs> And I decided to go traveling because what I realized was the thing that I loved the most was learning about cultures and meeting new people and understanding the way that societies are structured in different places that I had never been before, um, which goes back to the whole love of anthropology and culture. Um, so yeah, I planned on going on a one-year trip. Um, so that was my goal. I said, I'm going to go for one year and I'm going to find myself or whatever. <laughs> and it ended up just being the most wonderful experience. And it went from one year to two years to three years. And in that third year, I ended up moving to Cape Town, South Africa, where I randomly fell into a marketing role at a startup that was owned by a friend of a friend. And they were looking for somebody to kind of, well, actually do basically what I did for TEC, but on obviously a much smaller scale create all of the branding material, create a sales list, you know, start to promote the brand, build awareness. And I said to them, guys, I don't know anything about this. Like I studied medicine. I have a minor in chemistry. How what do I know about branding? And the guy said to me, yeah, but you, you understand people. So mm. I think you'll be okay. Like just give it a try. And if you don't like it, like no big deal. So I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I can try it. And there was the love affair began <laughs> and I've never looked back since. And so I did that for about one and a half years. And then I moved back to America to do my master's in public and organizational relations. Um, and then I started working in advertising in New York. So I did advertising strategy and communications for one and a half, two years in New York City. And then I got recruited to move to Seoul 
to do digital strategy for um, a digital agency that was hired by Samsung. Mm. So I lived in in Seoul, Korea for um, two and a half years, and then I moved to Hong Kong after that. But it's funny because when I look back on like my whole academic professional career, it really has kind of come full circle for me here with the Executive Center because I realized, obviously, after all of these experiences that communication and understanding people and the way that they work and how they experience whatever environment they're in and how do you create those experiences that are better for people um, is really what I was interested in. And that's kind of what anthropology is about, right? It's understanding cultures and interactions and relationships and things like that and how that has a larger and greater context and impact on businesses or whatever, right? And that's kind of what we're doing here, right? Yeah. Only from a spatial perspective. So it really has kind of been a very serendipitous sort of circuitous circle. <laughs> um, I think when, to one, answer one more of your questions, um, I was really worried when I withdrew all my applications and decided to travel because a lot of people were like, how are you going to get a job? You're going to be behind everybody. Like, what are you going to do when you come back? And it was really difficult because the answer was, I don't know. And luckily for me, and I think we're moving into a space where a lot of organizations value diverse experience. And so to answer your question about, you know, if I study this, am I stuck in that role? Mm -hmm. My advice to people is always understand your skills and the skills that you learn within whatever your study is, your area of expertise or your job. And then replicate those skills in a different industry or job role because there's so many transferable skills from one role to another or from one you know area of academic study to something else and there are lots of interesting insights that you can bring that somebody who may have studied that particular thing would never have had before because they've never studied that thing that you studied or an incredible journey you mentioned that there was a lot of stress and maybe anxiety about sort of leaving all of this time and energy that you've invested into pursuing a career and then going somewhere else, how can other people who are sort of in similar situations get the, the person that told you, hey, why are you even doing this? If they don't, they're not lucky to have that person, how can they get the courage to make the switch? I think just believe in yourself and your gut. I mean, nobody knows you better than you, right? So there was always like a little inkling, like when I would go to a chemistry class and hate it and think like, that's weird. I really like school. Why do I hate this class, right? And there was a pattern. It wasn't just, I think the other thing is understanding the difference between like having an off day and it being off, right? Mm -hmm. Those are two very different things. Everybody has shitty days, right? Everybody has a day where you're like, oh, this is so annoying. I have them at the executive center. Everybody does. But that's very different than disliking the entire process and the entire experience on an ongoing basis. Um, so I like to think about the elements that I love. Like what, what, what are the things that I love about what I'm doing? Not the industry itself. Because like I said, all of those different jobs, they're transferable. The skills are transferable. You can move them around. So identify the things that you love doing. Do you like talking to people? Do you like solving problems? Do you like, you know, looking at numbers and, you know, creating, do you like creating things? Like what, what is it that you like to do and use that as a direction to point you? And then from there you can say, okay, if this is what I really love doing, what are companies that are doing this really well? 
or what are topics that I can study that are related to that particular thing. Because I think fundamentally, if you love what you do, you're going to do it way better than if you don't love what you do, right? Yeah. So what are some of those skills or um, interests that work well with marketing? Like if people are still right now debating which path they want to pursue, can you share more insight on what makes a person good for a marketing role? Sure. So I think somebody that's able to take a step back and have a a larger perspective and being a, being able to see sort of a journey as opposed to being hyper-focused on one thing. Um, because with marketing, you have to understand the way that things interact with one another. And by things, I mean, like I said before, departments, but also clients, but also different kinds of brands in different environments, right? You need to be able to look at all of these different pieces of the puzzle and figure out how they fit together in order to move the business forward. So I think that that puzzle making, problem solving kind of personality is also very useful. But also, like I said, within marketing, there are all of those different verticals. So I think it's a really diverse industry. So it just depends on you know, do you, do you like the communications angle of things? Well, then you might want to think about the PR side of the marketing spectrum. If you're more into data and numbers and that kind of stuff, then you may want to go into the data analytics or the paid media side of things. If you really like creating partnerships and collaborations with people, then you might want to think about being on the events or the, the partnership side. Um, if you, if you're a creative person, if you love design, you know, there are tons of different kinds of roles within the, the creative side of marketing, you know, designers, there's copywriters, there's social content creators, there's producers. So it, it, I think there's a place for every kind of person on a marketing team, which is the other reason why I like it. That's awesome. Do you have any advice or tips on the application phase, the interviews and do's and don'ts for just applying for a marketing job? Well, one thing that I learned early on that I thought was really valuable is that you can't just have one resume. You need to have a resume that's tailored to the job that you're applying for. So I don't mean have a fake resume. I mean, look at your resume, look at the job description, look at the kinds of words that are being used in that job description and see if there are ways that you can incorporate that same kind of language into your resume. Because obviously that's the kind of criteria that potential employer is looking for in a candidate, right? So if you take that criteria and you say, okay, or organized, right? Take that and apply that organized concept to one of your previous jobs. Like I, I was super organized and this is how I did it, right? Because that's going to make you stand out. Um, that was something I learned early on and it worked, it worked very well for me. I think honesty is hugely important um, and, and being passionate about what you're actually applying for. I mean, I know some people say, you know, you got to apply for everything. I don't believe in that. I don't think that that's an efficient use of time. And for me, for example, when I quit my last job in Seoul or when the agency closed, I said, I'm not rushing into anything. I'm going to take time to figure out what it is I want, even if it means I need to cut back, even if it means I need to like, you know, not go on as many trips as I did before because I want to save. Like, I'm going to do that because I don't want to just find something because I don't have anything. I want to find something that I'm excited about that I'm going to do a good job at. And I think that you will be much more successful if you take that approach. I know it's scary because sometimes you like are 
you feel the pressure to get a job right away or you you need to make money somehow. But I mean, I like worked as waitresses and bartenders and like all oh, there are lots of different ways you can fill that gap. So same <laughs> must be an American thing. I know, right? <laughs> um, you mentioned, OK, so you didn't have a marketing background for people currently in jobs that aren't marketing, maybe sales or tech. Do you have any more tailored advice for them for making a career jump and whether or not they should do that? Well, sales and marketing are BFFs. Their hands are held at all times because we're the ones that are responsible for driving leads to the sales teams. So they're inextricably linked together. I think there are a lot of trends, uh, transitional skills that are transferable skills, sorry, that come from sales and marketing and vice versa. Um, the ability to talk to people, the understanding of the business, um, the understanding of budgets and profitability, um, the ability to create presentations that are persuasive, right? There are lots of skills that we're both doing. And we work together with the sales teams, I mean, every, every single day on all different kinds of things, whether it's creating content that we provide to them that they use to sell the spaces, whether it's creating partnerships that build brand visibility that drive them leads. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So there's no way that you can have a marketing department and a sales department that are not connected to one another in one way um, or another. I think for tech, tech is interesting. Like I said before, you know, we the tech team doesn't sit under the marketing umbrella, but people from my team interact with people from our tech team literally every single day. Um, the website from a coding perspective, sure, is done by, you know, our IT team. But where does the content come from? It comes from our team, right? So I think there are a lot of different ways that if somebody was on, you know, the tech side, the coding side, um, that they could come in and bring their expertise over into marketing. So for example, people that are doing coding and that kind of stuff, they, they have to understand, or it would be hopeful that they would understand things like SEO, right? How do you build sites that have interlinks? How do you understand the relationship be between the pages? How do you create consumer journeys and flows that make sense, right? All of those are very important to marketing as well because it's about the user experience just in a digital format. So I guess with such a diverse field in marketing, no matter what field you are before, there's always some link, some transferable skills that you can bring in if you're excited about marketing. It's doable to make the jump. I definitely think so, yeah. Okay, speaking of jobs, um, is Executive Center hiring right now? The Executive Center is always hiring. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, our team isn't hiring at the moment, but I do know that we have a couple of available positions. I don't remember what they are off the top of my head. But I mean, like we're growing so fast. We grow about 20% year on year. So we're always looking for new talent. And that's the other thing that I really like about, um, about our culture is sometimes we meet a person and we know the person is right for the company, even if there isn't a role. And I think that that's also really great because finding the right people that make the culture what it is, is also a big part of the executive center. So there have been times when we've met somebody and said, yeah, we don't know, we don't know what role yet, but like, you gotta be a part of this. Right. And then they get brought on and it's great. Do you have any tips for people interested in applying? Look at the job description. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't have typos on your resume, please. <laughs> That's a big one. It's a big turnoff. And I mean, for for us at, at the executive center, you have to be you have to be smart. You have to be flexible. No pun intended. You have to be adaptable. You need to have a worldview because, like I said, we have 135 centers across 32 cities. So having that sort of global knowledge and interest in that is really important. Um, you have to be collaborative above all. And I think the other thing for us that's different is that 
your title might be X, but there's not a single person in our company that says that's not my job. And like, if you're that kind of person that's like, I don't do that, that's not part of my job description, you will definitely not fit in at the executive center because it really is like, even though we have like 1,100 1, plus employees now, I think, everybody's always doing something that's outside of their remit, which is also kind of exciting, right? Because then it gives you the opportunity to learn about something that you might not have any experience with before, right? So we try to do lots of like cross-pollination of departments. And that's why I think it's such an interesting place to work because every day is something different. That sounds really interesting and exciting to be able to work in such a diverse community. How can people listening connect more and learn more about the Executive Center, yourself? Um, yeah, how can they just find out more? Sure. So um, if you're interested in learning about the Executive Center, you can visit our website, www.executivecenter.com, or follow us, please, on all of our social channels, predominantly Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, we actually create a lot of really, really great thought leadership content about a lot of the things that we were talking about today, actually. Um, you know, what's the future of the office? How can you work more flexibly? How can you create spaces that are better for your employees? How What, what role does wellness play? I actually just wrote a white paper on that that went out today. There's a lot of really interesting content. So if you go on our website, we have a blog where there's lots of stuff. You can also download some of the reports that we've produced in the past, and they cover lots of different stuff like that. Um, and then Instagram is just really beautiful images of offices <laughs> all across the world. So if you're craving that travel bug, check it out. Um, for me personally, you can visit my personal website, chelseaperino.com, and, um, and also connect with me on LinkedIn. Same thing. My name, Chelsea Perino. I would be happy to connect with anybody. I love having conversations like this. So very open to that. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks. Super fun. Bye.